We are, as uh, a lot of you know, um, this Sunday, part of what is becoming a sort of national thing. Uh, it's still pretty small, but we, with uh, 75 or 80 other churches across America, are declaring this day National Porn Sunday. And we're going to address the issue of pornography. So we're gonna, actually going to take a break from the book of Luke and talk about pornography. More specifically, I want to talk about good sex and bad sex. Or, for reasons that will become clear later on, I could title this message, Climbing the Palm Tree. Uh, but let's wait on that one. Uh, let's uh, pray for this message. Could I get some people around the auditorium who will keep this entire message covered in prayer as you're listening? I need a few more. Uh, I want some strongholds to be broken here this morning. All right, all right, let's pray. Father, uh, Lord, land on us as this message goes forward here. We're, we're, we're taking on a uh, principality and power on this one. And uh, uh, therefore, we expect flack. So Holy Spirit, just be present here. Infuse every single word with your authority and use it to break strongholds, to heal wounds that have been caused by the devil's lies about sex. Just set your people free and be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. 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 I want to start with just a couple of testimonies. Can we run the DVD? Well, I grew up in a Christian home, and I'm, I'm thankful for parents that did bring me to church. And I just kind of decided one night in the back of the church, there was Sunday night service, and I was just like, God, um, I'll, I'm going to serve you later. You know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase girls. Because it fed my flesh. It fed what I wanted. I wanted to, to get into this pornography stuff, and I started heading down that road. I began to do things that I would have told you before I would have never done in my entire life. I lost it. Everything. Everything. I saw these pictures, and um, it's the first time I'd seen anything like that. And something, something clicked inside of me. Something, you know, happened where I thought, that's, that's something I want. It began to slowly, without me even realizing it, get worse and worse and worse and I kept wanting more to take it to the next level. You can't fathom the pull that that kind of fantasy has in your life unless you've experienced it. My life, the spiral just kept going down, 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 down. This pull inside of me became so great that all I wanted to do was satisfy that but yet I could never fulfill it. I could never satisfy it. For years, I, I would have these times where it's like I really wanted to stop what I was doing. I knew it was wrong. I, I wanted to follow the Lord. I wanted to uh, walk in His ways and please Him with my life, but, but this had start, such a hold on me, even at a young age, that I just, I just couldn't seem to break away from it on my own. I had, I had been baptized in my church at 12 years old, and I knew I knew from sitting in, in church and sitting in Sunday school my whole life, every Sunday, um, that it was wrong. But there was no reality of knowing this is wrong, therefore it must change. I just knew it was wrong, and I didn't know how to change it, and I didn't want to change it. You know, Lord, I can't believe that this is really what's in me, in me, you know, in my heart. You know, I hate you. You know, I. I I would prefer these women and, and, and lust over you and loving you and all that you have done for me in my life. 
and I started to really break and, and repent and cry out to God that, Lord, I want to change. You know, I want to be free. I want to be different. I want to serve you. And it was like God was revealing to me the cross in a new way and the mercy that Jesus had poured out for me on Calvary. But God, in his grace and in his mercy, never gave up on me. And I am just so grateful that uh, God, in his mercy and his grace, said I'm not done with you yet. I think through help from people at my church, I started to see how wrong this was from the Lord's perspective. I really can say that through all of this, Jesus has revealed himself through other people and his love through that. One day I just made a choice and I started crying out to God. I'm like, I can't make this go away, but I know you can. God has been faithful and to love me enough so that I know that he's loving me and that love is wooing me past that line in the sand. So I've been choosing his direction every time I've had a crossroad to go to. And so I started making choices, choices to turn from what my flesh wanted, choices to turn and to make a choice to love others, to love God. Amen. I'm here to tell you this morning that if you are or you know someone is or related to somebody who is in bondage to this, there is there's freedom. Uh, the stronghold can be broken. It's not an easy one, but it can be broken. Um, and we need to address this just head on. I wanted to announce at the start here that uh, tonight we'll be talking about some practical helps on how to get out of pornography. We'll be showing a movie uh, a kind of a documentary about the problem of pornography in our country. Uh, it's called Missionary Positions. And, um, um, and then we'll have a little talk afterwards. That talk tonight will be, is rated, we're rating it, roughly PG-13. Okay, so uh, know that coming into it. And this message here this morning, I forgot to mention this earlier, but, but it, I would rate this just pg uh, and so parents, uh, you might want to, if your kids are with you, uh, it's your call. Uh, from my, where I stand, if your child's above 10 years old, pro they probably know most of what I'm going to say here. Um, the question is, do you want to know that they know? <laughs> uh, you, can you deal with it? You know, but uh, we, we, we might use words like masturbation. Uh, we might. I don't know. Uh, and, and so, you know, you might have some talk to do afterwards, which I think is a good thing. But I do want to you know, have you to be uh, duly warned. I know firsthand what these guys are talking about, and a lot of people in this auditorium do. Uh, I saw my first pornographic picture at the age of 11, and I will never forget the charge I got out of that. It was just like a shockwave going through me. I discovered my dad's stash of porn, rather hardcore porn, when I was 12 or 13, right around there, and had a steady diet of that for the next six years of my life. I became a Christian when I was 17 and had a great encounter with God and, and sincerely surrendered my life over to Christ. And most areas of my life were, were almost instantaneously changed. I, I was able to give up drugs and a lot of other things really quick. That was no problem. But this thing with porn, it didn't leave. I, I could uh, abstain for a while, but I'd always fall back into it. It has a power to grab you that is just incredible. Like the one man said, it's... it's 
Unless you have been there, it's hard to even describe the power that this has. I remember thinking to myself, as a Christian, wanting to abstain from this, to be free of this, but thinking to myself, this is simply too good. I'm a slave to it. I can't say no to it. I can't resist this. It's an issue that really is epidemic in our culture, and we need to address it in a straightforward way. Literally millions of men, and even many women, Some people think that pornography is strictly a male problem, but they now know that 9 to 10% of all people who view pornography on the internet, at least, are female. So this isn't only a male problem, though it is primarily a male problem. But millions of people are in bondage. It, it, It has reached epidemic proportions. It's destroying families, lives. It's eroding society. I would, in fact, go so far as to rate pornography as, as up there alongside a greed as one of the most destructive, most pervasive nationalistic sins. And we've got to talk about it. It's not a problem that's out there. It's a problem that's in here. All the studies have shown that there isn't any significant statistical difference between uh, the uh, percentage of people who uh, engage in pornography outside the church and those who engage inside the church. So we've got to get out loud about it. We've got to get okay talking about sexual issues. When I was first saved, uh, it wasn't okay. This church did not address issues like this. They addressed how women needed to cover up their elbows and knees <laughs> with their shirts and dresses, uh, but that's not where my mind was at. And I could not find anyone to talk to about this. I, it, it was a secret thing, and as long as it's a secret thing, it's a thing that can't be addressed. I went to my pastor and tried to ease into the topic one time. Uh, and I, I just said, does the Bible mention anything about masturbation? And uh, uh, I think he broke his jaw when it hit the floor. He's like, we don't talk about that here. You don't mention that here. He couldn't even say it. Well, we've got to okay be okay talking rather frankly about this. Now, I want to start with some rather grisly statistics. I've pulled these from about four different sources. I found that sometimes the statistics don't uh, match up uh, entirely. But if, if the truth is anywhere close to what I'm going to give you right here, uh, we, are, we are in uh, some serious trouble here, and, and we need to uh, address it. I also want to tell you that as I was preparing this message this week, this was not a fun one to deal with. In fact, maybe it's because of my past exposure to this, but there's something visceral that hits me on this one. Uh, I I actually feel kind of nauseous dealing with it, and yet we've got to deal with it. Some statistics here. According to the American Academy of uh, Pediatrics, typing in the phrase sex pictures on an internet search engine, engine will within one second access you to two million pornographic sites. See, when I was a kid, we had to sneak it, and uh, the adults had to risk embarrassment as they went to purchase it at SA or 7-Eleven or wherever they got their porn stuff. Nowadays, you see, it can just be done in, in, in such secret. It's so accessible. You don't even have to go looking for it. It's looking for you. Three out of, porn, three out of four porn sites use free teaser porn, which is rather hardcore porn. In fact, there are people who are addicted to internet pornography who never buy it, because that involves a risk. You know, people might trace the, the bill or whatever, but they're addicted just to the, the, the teaser porn on these porn sites. Many of these porn sites use, in fact, an increasing number of them use these traps, where once you're on the site, you can't back out. They block you backing out. It's like a spider that's got to fly in the web. And the only way to get off the site is to shut down your computer and warm boot it, which is a big hassle. 
which means that when you either intentionally or accidentally come upon a site like this, in those crucial moments when you've got an important decision to make, are you going to participate or not, it delays you making the right choice. And you keep on having these scenes uh, thrown at you. According to the U.S. News and World Report, the porn industry, get this, took in $8 billion last year. That is more than ABC, CBS, and NBC combined. This is the, perhaps the most disgusting statistic. The fastest growing element of the porn industry is child pornography. Child porn sites have more than tripled in the last four years. They're up 345%. Presently, there are over 100,000 sites worldwide uh, that uh, provide internet uh, or child pornography. Most of the people who view child pornography didn't start that way. It's not like they're, they, were, they were pedophiles to start with. But as the one person testified, there's a jading, a demonically jading effect to pornography where you have to keep on going to more and more bizarre things to get the same fix. And child pornography is therefore sky, skyrocketing. Nine in, ten, nine in ten adolescent boys will have intentionally or even more frequently unintentionally viewed porn before the age of 16. They, they, they stumble onto it while on the internet. The average, the average age for a boy's first exposure to porn now is 11 years old. One in five adolescents have received a sexual solicitation via the internet in the last year. One in 33 will have received an aggressive solicitation, which was defined as the person, the solicitor trying to make, uh, set up a, a meeting place outside of the internet. According to the Net Value Report on Minors Online, 27% of 10 to 17-year-olds, both boys and girls, have visited an adult website intentionally. Every day, up to 30 million people log on to pornographic websites. According to the National Council on Sexual Addiction, 6 to 8% of American adults, that's 16 to 21.5 million people, are sex addicts. Sex addict was, uh, is minimally defined as uh, having your daily life significantly revolve around getting a sexual fix and feeling powerless to stop it. Approximately 40% of adult males view porn, viewed porn in some form in the last year. 40%. One in five adult males have visited a porn site in the last two months. It's epidemic doesn't get much better when you turn to the clergy. More than a third of all pastors have visited a porn site in the last year. 43% have visited a porn site at some point in the past, and 51% say that looking at internet pornography is their biggest temptation. We're dealing with an epidemic here, folks. Uh, do the math. It's epidemic. But it's not just limited to internet porn. Porn is found everywhere. And in fact, it's not even limited to what would be uh, legally defined as, as pornography. Uh, the messages that fuel pornography are all around us. In fact, we're deluged with it. We're bombarded with it. It's on the television. It's on the movies. It's on advertisement. We use objectified sex, sex uh, without uh, intimacy or commitment. We use it as recreation, as a culture. We use it as, as medication. We use it to sell stuff. It's all around us. It certainly is on the TV, uh, the messages that fuel this uh, uh, pornog pornography epidemic. Consider this. The average teen watches over three hours of television a day. Three hours and eight minutes, actually. Eighty-three percent of the shows most popular with teens have sexual content. 
20% of them containing explicit or implicit intercourse. That's up from 1996, where 66% of their favorite shows had sexual content and 7% uh, implicit or explicit intercourse. 38% of teens report that their parents impose some restrictions on what they watch on television, which means 62% don't. According to the Kaiser Family Foundation, 1% of all shows that contain sexual, sexual content link sex with any ethical or practical consequences, such as getting pregnant or having emotional or psychological scars or contracting a sexually transmitted disease. Only 1% have any consequences whatsoever to sexual behavior. Feeding sort of this, this uh, myth in the culture that you can have sex without responsibility and sex without consequences, you can't. There's always consequences, but you would never get that message watching television. 1% of the shows with, with sexual content depict someone abstaining or delaying sexual gratification, where they actually say no. There's a, some, there's a reason bigger than sex, and they say no to sex for that reason. 1%, which means 99%, don't have that. Feeding the cultural myth that, that, uh, that uh, sexual impulses have got to be acted on. You've got to act on it. It's, it's right up there with air and food in terms of a necessity of life. 2% of the shows in movies and on television depict intimacy between married couples, which means 98% of uh, the shows that kids most watch uh, have sexual relationships outside and before and apart from marriage. Feeding this cultural myth that married people don't have sex very much at all, and if they do have sex, uh, they don't enjoy it. Oh, the real fun sex is outside of marriage. That's when it's exciting, and, 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 and those are the folks who do it the most. Whereas, a matter of fact, every study ever done shows just the opposite. But see, uh, they, they're not interested in portraying the truth. They're in interested in, in, in just providing entertainment that people come to, and if it takes a lie to do that, that's what they do. Another study I, I, I happened upon showed that the average ninth grader, parents listen up to this, the average ninth grader watches 10 hours uh, a week uh, of, of uh, uh, TV um, music videos or cable music videos. Sexual intimacy or sexual scenes are depicted in 60 to 75% of them. I don't know if you have been on VH1 or MTV. I have, and uh, it is surprising to say the least. Uh, the bottom line is that we're a culture that is obsessed with sex, and we're a culture that is increasingly pornographic. We use objectified sex which is sex without intimacy and sex without uh, commitment. We use it as stimuli for recreation, to sell, to entertain. It is a new nationalistic God, and it is on a lot of levels destroying us. It's going on right under our noses, and we're not being active enough, aggressive enough in counteracting it. Now, I'm not here to try to solve society's problems, but I want to I address how kingdom people can respond to this, what kingdom people can, can do about this. The first thing we need to see is just how harmful this is. It's incredibly destructive. Let me just outline four areas. It's harmful because it's creating a new normal. The pervasive, not just internet pornography, but, but the, the messages on sexuality uh, on billboards and on television and all around us on radio, it's creating a new normal. We're being indoctrinated to downgrade our sense of what is appropriate and what is normal. Things that used to be shocking are no longer shocking to us. When I was a kid, we used to play spin the bottle. Remember that game? And you spin the bottle, whoever gets picked, you get to choose who you want to kiss. And if you're really daring, you'd French kiss. 
Nowadays, they play that game in some circles. I didn't believe this when I first came upon this, but, but it is true. And, and instead of kissing, they have oral sex. And it is even getting down to the elementary schools. Uh, in fact, oral sex is increasingly not even being defined as sex anymore. Uh, one study showed that most people under the age of 25 didn't think Bill Clinton was lying when he said, I did not have sex with that woman. Uh, because sex is intercourse. It's not oral sex or anal sex or petting or anything else. It's just intercourse. So you're not really having sex when you have anal sex. Uh, that's especially pervasive. That, that kind of thinking is especially pervasive in our youth church culture where people have an extra added motivation for redefining sex because they want to reserve sex to marriage, but they mean by that intercourse. Now, I always kind of assumed the opposite. I thought oral sex and those sorts of things were more intimate, actually go beyond intercourse. But today it's being defined as recreation and not really sex at all. We're dealing with a new normal. Porn jades a person's view of sex. It divorces sex from intimacy and from commitment, and it systematic conditions people on a neurological level to be stimulated more by having sex without intimacy and without commitment, by having sex with a person just for sexual gratification. Conditions the people, people to think that way, to the point where it becomes difficult for people to associate sex with intimacy and commitment. That just isn't a turn-on anymore. I remember one of the many women that I've talked to about this who discovered that their husband had been on porn, had been for two years increasingly getting involved in internet porn. When she discovered this, it really shed a lot of light on things. It explained some things because she had noticed for the last two years how her husband, especially during times when they were making love, he didn't seem to be there. He was in his own world. He was kind of detached. There was the lack of, 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 of loving care and intimacy uh, that, that was there. It pervaded their marriage, but it was especially uh, there in times of intimacy. He was being trained to get turned on by objectifying her. Uh, it can get to the point, in fact, it frequently gets to the point where men in particular, most usually, men uh, uh, lose their interest in real sex. In fact, in some cases, men become incapable of having normal sexual relationships with their wives. So jaded has their view of sexuality become. Reality just can't compete with fantasy in this case. And uh, they'd rather be off in the fantasy world. And in the real world, you see, when you have normal sexual relationships with your spouse, you've got to work around things like menstrual cycles and, and, and kids and the job and fatigue and house chores being picked up. And you've got to work through some of those issues and you've got to have foreplay. But, you know, with this fantasy world here, you get to be, you know, king, king of, uh, of, of whatever fantasy that you're doing. And, and it can be fast and there's no need for commitment. And, and the masturbation just gives immediate se sexual gratification. And there's no hassles. And so some men get to the point where they're incapable of having sex, normal sexual relationships with their spouse. In fact, studies have shown that there's a direct correlation between the amount of involvement a man has in, in, uh, in pornography and, and how infrequently they have sexual relationships with their spouse. Third, porn just destroys people. It harms the people who participate in it. Uh, when a person uh, views pornography, a part of them is dying. They're, they're becoming a little bit less human. They're becoming desensitized. Studies have shown that people who are, are involved in hardcore pornography are less revolted by rape. Uh, it, it desensitizes them to that. They lose their capacity to be self-giving. They lose their capacity uh, to some degree to love. They lose their capacity to feel deeply. It jades their capacity to hear from God. 
Participating in pornography destroys you. A part of you dies as you become increasingly involved in that. You also contribute to the destruction of the people who are doing the modeling or the acting in pornography. Studies have shown that about 75% of the models and actors who are involved in hardcore porn flicks are, uh, uh, have been sexually abused as kids. And when, when we participate in pornography, we're voting yes to the sexual abuse they experience. We're saying we're glad that happened, which is why we're willing to take advantage of them now. We're actually re-abusing them. We're contributing to the destruction, perhaps the eternal destruction, of the models and the actors who have sold themselves to this industry. But we're also, even perhaps more significantly, destroying people on a spiritual level. Uh, we in the West don't usually think in spiritual terms, in terms of principalities and powers, but as kingdom people, we must. And what we need to see, so clearly see, is that there, there is a principality and power that is fueling this. And the same principality and power that's fueling you to be involved in pornography is, is the, the principality and power that's involved in kidnap and child kidnapping and rape and sexual slavery and torture and, and, and other things. One of the things that freed me from pornography at the age of 19 is when God very graphically connected the dots between what I'm doing in the privacy of my room with a penthouse and the fact that there are kids who get kidnapped and raped and tortured. Because the, the dark principality and power that's behind the one is also behind the other. And so you bear some responsibility in fueling that principality and power. It's no different than if you buy drugs, you're supporting drug cartels that kill people. You bear some responsibility for that. We've got to see things in holistic terms, in terms of this principality and power. Pornography destroys people, and pornography destroys society. God, as we'll see here in a moment, one of the designs for, for sex is like the power of the atom. It holds families together. It's not the only thing that holds family together, but it's one of the things that has the power to, to keep people in there. If there's no other way of expressing yourself sexually, it becomes one more reason to stay in this thing. But when that power gets turned outward, it's like splitting the atom. And what you have is a Hiroshima. We live in a culture where, as I just showed, most of the messages about sexuality are outside of marriage. So that the power of, of, of uh, uh, the sexual impulse is now being turned outside the marriage, and that blows apart the marriage. And there are, there are many women that I've talked to who, are, who wrestle with a feeling of betrayal, and sometimes their marriages survive and sometimes they don't. But this is destroying the family. And when you destroy the family, you destroy the society. We're splitting the atom. Now, what can we do? As kingdom people, what can we do about this? I'm not going to try to fix society, but I want to ask, how do we respond to this as kingdom people? And I'll say four things. The first thing is, is uh, I think, the most important thing, and um, it's the one I'm going to spend the most time on, but it's also, for some of us, maybe the most surprising thing. In response to the kind of jaded sexuality that is going on all around us, I submit to you that we kingdom people need to seriously celebrate sex. We need to know about and proclaim, and within marriage, enjoy, thoroughly enjoy good, godly sex. The best way to expose an ugly lie is not by getting mad at it and hollering at it and throwing stones at it, though you may need to do that. But the best way to expose an ugly lie is to proclaim a beautiful truth. And the beautiful truth is that sex is created by God and sex is good. It's, it's, it's a wonderful gift of God, and we need to be the ones proclaiming that. Now, the, the church historically hasn't done a good job of this. In fact, the church historically, beginning in the 4th century with St. Augustine, there he is again, uh, 
has had a very negative view towards sex. Most of the people doing the theologizing in church history were, were frustrated men who had taken a vow of celibacy, writing in monasteries, trying to resist their own sexuality. And as anyone who's taken Psychology 101 knows, uh, very frequently we demonize the things that we're resisting. And so you find throughout church history a strong misogynist strand and a strong anti-sex strand. That sex is somehow inherently evil. St. Augustine associated sex with the transmission of original sin. Um, they were down on, on, on uh, passion, uh, even within the context of marriage. The attitude was sort of like this. If, you ha if you're not godly enough to abstain from sex and be single all your life, well, then get married. But if you're going to be married, then, then don't have very much sex. And if you're going to have sex, then for God's sake, don't enjoy it. Uh, it, it was St. Augustine, and I, this, this isn't a joke here. St. Augustine said that were it not for the fall, males were, would plant the seed in the female with the same attitude with which a farmer sows seed on the ground when he's planting. <laughs> here, honey, here's a seed. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, guy had issues. So... And there are some commentators, and I think they're onto something here, that, that say that at least part of the explanation for why our culture right now in the last 40 years has been going through the so-called sexual revolution and it's intensifying right now is an overreaction against that dysfunctional view of sex, uh, that, that suppressive and regressive view of sex. But it's still with us to this day. Most evangelicals, if you say something is immoral, they immediately think you're talking about something sexual. We've got this weird obsession with sex uh, in a negative kind of a way. Uh, if you look at the Gospels, the things that were most immoral were things like pride and, and greed and, and legalism. But uh, in our culture, as an, part of the legacy of church history, is we tend to associate it with sexuality. We need to proclaim, for our sake and for the culture's sake, that part of the Gospel is that sex, as God designed it and as God intended it, is good. It is very good. It says this in Genesis chapter 1, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the image of God involves both male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in numbers. And God saw all that he had made and he said, it is very good. Part of being made in the image of God is the male-female distinction, and part of being made in the image of God is the ability to come together in a fruitful relationship. It's a blessing from God. I'm blessing you here. Be fruitful and increase. Uh, it's a good thing. It's at the center of creation. Now, in the world as it is now, there are people who are called to be single, and that is an honorable calling. According to the New Testament, it's a very honorable calling. Be okay with that. And in the world as it is right now, there are couples who are who either can't have kids or who uh, choose responsibly not to have kids, and that's an okay thing. Still, we must proclaim that a central part of God's design for creation is the sexual impulse, is sexuality. It lies at the center of his plan for creation. It is, if you didn't know this already, what makes the world go round, and it's a good thing. And it's not just for having kids. The joy and the ecstasy of two people coming together in a lifelong, intimate, committed relationship, the context of marriage, the joy and the ecstasy and the pleasure of that, it reflects who God is. God himself is, is, is that kind of ecstasy, that kind of joy. And, and uh, sexual orgasms and the relationship between a couple mirrors that. It's a sacred, beautiful, wonderful, wonderful thing. It is a good in and of itself. 
Which is why the Bible sometimes celebrates sex as a good in and of itself. It's not just a utilitarian seed planting function that brings forth kids. No, it's a good in and of itself. So, for example, it says in my favorite book, The Song of Solomon. <laughs> listen to this. This is a young groom talking to his young bride. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. He's looking at her legs. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Never, ne- never thought of a navel quite that way. Let's put a little wine in there. <laughs> Sip it out. No straws allowed. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. That would never work for me. I, 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 I just... Your status is like that of a palm tree, and your breasts like clusters of fruit. That one does work for me. <laughs> and then he gets an idea. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. Folks, I'm talking about the the Word of God here. This is the holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. (laughs) Climb the palm tree. You see, the Bible celebrates this. Why is it that in all of history we've never had a church hymn that sounded like the Song of Solomon? You know, we, we have these hymns that, you know, talk about the wonders of creation, the sun, moon, and stars, the sunrise, the sunset, the lilies of the field. Uh, hey, listen, this is the most wondrous part of creation, and we need to celebrate it. Amen? It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. God is so non-prudish, he actually uses sexual intimacy as a metaphor for the relationship he desires with his own bride. And so we read in Ephesians chapter 5. In fact, some read the Song of, so- Song of Solomon as being just that. Here's how Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And then he quotes Genesis 2. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother. There's a sermon I could do on that. You need to leave, dude. <laughs> and be united to his wife. Be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. He's not just speaking about physical union, but he is certainly including physical union. And then Paul says, this is a profound mystery, how these two become spiritually and physically united. It's an incredible mystery. Our spirits really touch. Which, by the way, the Bible teaches this, that sexual intercourse isn't just a physical thing. There's a joining of spirits, which is why people who do it outside of God's design are inviting psychological and emotional disorders in themselves because they're they're becoming fragmented. That's just a footnote. Uh, where was I? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. The, the, the physical thing with humans is one thing, but I'm talking about Christ's relationship with the church. God is so non-prudish that he's saying this. Sexual intimacy uh, reflects the kind of intimacy and commitment and joy and ecstasy that God wants to have with us. 
This absolute shameless openness, intimacy, giving of yourself 100% to another as they give themselves to you. That's how God wants, a, uh, uh, that's the kind of relationship God wants with us. God is that within himself, the joy and ecstasy of perfect love, giving and receiving. He is that within himself throughout eternity, and he wants to replicate that with us uh, in his relationship through Christ. And the act of sexual union signifies all that. That's why it's so special, why it's so beautiful. God is pro-sex. If he puts strong restrictions around sexual activity, it's not because he's, he's this, you know, prudish God who wants to keep his kids from having fun. He's not trying to keep us from something. He's trying to keep us from missing out on something. And the something he doesn't want us to miss out on is the beauty of intimate, uh, intimate, committed, joyful, ecstatic sex. When the two come together and mirror who God is. God is not at all prudish about such things. Sex is so sacred. He's saying, don't make it a common thing. It's so precious. Don't just squander it everywhere. It's so beautiful. Don't make it just a recreational thing. Because it's so beautiful, because it is as a diamond, put strong restraints around it in order to preserve its beauty. One of the best things, uh, and here I'm going to talk just to married people. Uh, single people, listen up. Uh, uh, and try not to get uh, feisty and frisky about this, but one of the best things you can do as a married couple to fight the, the, uh, uh, the kind of direction of our, where our culture is going, this pornographic direction, one of the best things you can do is make sure you have good sex. Uh, collapse the pull coming from the outside by, having, by, by, by enjoying it on the inside of the relationship. Consider this. There is an extravagant side to God, an adventuresome side to God, an untamed side of God. Whenever God does anything, he pours himself into it. He rolls up his sleeves. Uh, he pushes the envelope. When he creates a world, for example, he doesn't just create a minimal world, a just sort of get by world, a let's do my duty kind of a world. No, he pours himself into it. He, he, he puts on a show. He puts up the stars and, and the billions of galaxies and he creates all these different kinds of plants and all these different kinds of people and all these different kinds of animals. There's an extravagant side of God and you see it throughout history uh, of the Bible. We're made in his image, which means that we are most fully alive when we're living on the edge, when we're pushing the envelope, when we're, when we're tapping into that radical part of us. And our sexuality is part of being made in the image of God, which means that in the context in which God sets it up for, in a marriage context, bring that radical, envelope-pushing, untamable side into your bedroom. You see, porn taps into that wild side, but it does it in a demonic way. The way to collapse that is by bringing that same impulse and bring it into the bedroom. Uh, okay, I'll go there. Uh, listen, just because you've always done it on Friday nights doesn't mean you have to reserve it just for Friday nights. Monday mornings work, you know, spice it up a little bit, mix it up a little bit, seduce one another, surprise one another, go out and buy some new clothing or, or not so much clothing, whatever. Uh, <laughs> have fun with this. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be enjoyable. Keep on exploring stuff, experiment. Never, never get bored where you're just always, it's predictable, it's always got to be this way, just because this is the way we've always done it, but this way we always got to do it. And some people even think, well, it's unholy if you do it any other way. Nonsense with that. Bring your creativity into the bedroom. Now, you do it with mutual consent. It, it, it's always in the context of a committed, uh, uh, intimate relationship. You don't try to compete with the pornographic stuff that's out there. You do better than that. And it is better when it's in the context of a committed, loving relationship, but be playful with it. Best thing you can do to fight the lie is to live out passionately the joy of the truth. A second point I want to say here. 
And this applies to all of us. It would apply, I guess, mainly to single people who are probably feeling a little frisky right now after that great pep talk on sex. (laughs) But it applies to all of us. We need to be willing to suffer. Sexual frustration is a part of life even when you're married. Uh, Sometimes single people get the illusion that as soon as you get married, there's no more sexual frustration. Wrong. Wrong. Uh, We all have to be disciplined uh, about this. But speaking specifically to singleness, here's what Martin Luther, the reformer, said. Uh, He says, some might say, waiting for marriage is unbearable and aggravating. Then he goes, they're right. (laughs) It is. It's very similar to other difficulties requiring patience that believers must face, such as fasting, imprisonment, cold sickness, and persecution. Lust is a serious burden. You must resist it and fight against it, but after you have overcome it through prayer, lust will have caused you to pray more and grow in your faith. Here's the bottom line. Both married people and single people, listen up. And I think that kind of covers the gamut. We live in a culture that, in a myriad of different ways, tries to tell us that all suffering is bad and sexual frustration is absolutely immoral. It's like you might as well hold your breath or try not eating food. It it, it tries to make it that much of a necessity. It's not. But in our culture, all suffering is seen as being intrinsically bad. Now, in the church tradition, and in fact, in almost all uh, traditional cultures, They thought the opposite. Some forms of suffering are good, in fact, necessary. If you're going to grow up, if you're going to learn how to be a self-giving person, some forms of of suffering are necessary, and sexual frustration falls in that category. I wish I had a wand that I could wave and just say, okay, you'll have no more sexual impulses till your honeymoon night. But it doesn't work like that. Learning how to deal with sexual frustration uh, is, is, is part of life. It's certainly part of discipleship. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, Blessed are you when you suffer for righteousness' sake. Whether you're married or not, and whether we're talking about sexual frustration or some other hardship, living righteous always involves suffering. Jesus is here specifically, specifically speaking about persecution, but it applies to all areas of our life. And so I challenge us to dare to be different. Single people, I challenge you to dare to be different. Don't be part of the brainwashed herd that, that just goes along with the stream and because everyone else is doing it, you're going to do it. Don't buy into the lie that it's somehow uh, bad for you or, or, or just wrong or, or life-negating to abstain from sex before marriage. Don't, don't buy into that. Consecrate yourself to God. Consecrate yourself to your future spouse if that is, is, is in your future. And live for God. The blessedness of that, the joy of that, the fulfillment of that is far more, far better than anything you'd get by, 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 by violating God's uh, direction on how sexuality is going to be played out. Look at, you know, you, you, don't, you don't just start doing an engine until you read, or using an engine until you read the manual of the person who designed the engine. God wrote the manual on sexuality. He knows how it operates really, really good, and he knows how it operates bad. He knows the good that happens when we, when we commit to doing it his way and the evil that happens when we commit to doing it or uh, engage in doing it a different way. Live for God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Yes, it involves suffering and frustration. Cold showers can only take you so far. Uh, you know, so it's just something we learn to deal with. It, it, it makes us pray more, grow up more and be more consecrated. The third thing, and I, I, I'll ask the, the worship team to come up here as I'm closing with this. The, the third thing is this. Be wise as serpents. The Bible says, be wise as serpent, serpents, but innocent as doves. We need to really be smart on this one, folks. Uh, uh, 
Look at parents, parents, be wise, monitor your kids. The stuff that they're seeing on TV isn't the stuff that you saw when, when you were their age. Uh, the stuff that they're seeing on the internet wasn't on the internet when you were their age. In fact, there probably wasn't an internet when you were their age. There's an, it's a new world out there, be wise. Uh, you can get these, buy these filters that keep your kids from getting on porn sites and that keep uh, porn sites from getting on your, on your, on your kids' uh, monitor. Uh, I encourage you to get those. Uh, watch what they view on television. If you have to lose cable, lose cable. Yeah, they're not going to be happy about that, but, but if that's what it takes, do that. Whatever, if you're a person who struggles with pornography and you fall over and over again uh, you know, because it's so accessible on the Internet, get rid of the Internet. It's not the end of the world. If that's what it takes to be free, be free. You can't put a price tag on this thing. Be smart. Know your vulnerable areas. Know your weaknesses. Know where to go and where not to go. Know what you're capable of and not capable of. Be wise as serpents. And the final thing I, I'll say is, is just this. Uh, if this is an area that you struggle with, and in all probability, one out of five men in this room have struggled with it in the last two months, uh, I want to encourage you to get the help you need. Now, we'll talk more about that tonight uh, after, after the movie. But there's help available to you. Most people can't kick this on their own. Some can, but most don't. You need to have a support group, maybe some counseling. And our church is here to say there's no shame in coming forward. We want to come around you and, and help you get free. Get free. I want to end by singing a consecrated prayer to God. And I want us to sing this from the depths of our heart. Is, Nicole, would you leave? This is my desire. Make this a pledge to God. It may be that right now where you're at, it's not your, it, it doesn't describe you perfectly to say that all you are is given to him because maybe you're involved in pornographic addiction. But sing this prayer as a declare, declaration of what is your innermost heart's desire. And as you praise God, he begins to break strongholds. Holy Spirit, as we're singing this final closing prayer of dedication to you, Holy Spirit, break the bondage, break the stronghold, set the captives free. Release your power right here and right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Could we stand and sing this as a closing prayer to God? This is my desire to honor With all my heart, I worship you. All I have within me, I give you praise.
Have your way, Lord. This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. consecrated to you and consecrated to those that we're committed to, Lord God. Help us to be beacons of light in a world that so desperately needs it because it's so desperately dark, Lord God. Thank you for the gift of sex. Thank you for the beautiful gift you gave us, for blessing us with that, Lord God. And help us, Lord God, to honor you by what we do with it, by how we use it, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you.